0: ever wonder why some people are so interested in genealogy? There, It's definitely a thing, you know, there's a whole room at the public library dedicated to genealogy. There are multiple websites and programs that you can, you can go to to discover your family history. And, and the newer thing is that you can even get a DNA test that can determine exactly what region of the world your ancestors are from. I imagine some folks are just curious. Other folks are looking for that one person in their family tree who did something awesome or spectacular or amazing. We all have those urban stories or legends in our families, you know, our great, great, great uncle did something special. Mine apparently invented the traffic light. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, Maybe you explore your family history and your roots because you're looking for answers, for meaning, because you're looking for purpose and connection. As you know, there are all sorts of psalms in the New Testament, all different themes and ideas and and aspects that are reflected in the psalms. The psalms tell us about joy, joy. And sorrow and worship and lament and trust and contentment, forgiveness, forgiveness and and joy and hope. All those things are highlighted in different psalms from the Old Testament. And this morning, Psalm 110 is what we call a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that gives us a glimpse about God's salvation and deliverer. It's a psalm that reminds us of God's love, His rescue plan to needy people, and it's, it's something that's deeply rooted in the past. We have someone incredible and amazing in our family tree. It's the God-man Jesus Christ, the perfect promised Messiah. He is exactly who we need And He came to us according to God's promises. All of God's promises in the Old Testament. Everything that happened some 2,000 years ago with Jesus of Nazareth. And all of our hopes and dreams and our deepest needs. They find their fulfillment and culmination in Christ. And that's what Psalm 110 is all about. There are several things that we can learn about Christ and about our lives today. From Psalm 110. First of all, we learn that Jesus Christ is our King. Jesus Christ is our King. One of the first things we learn from Psalm 110 Jesus Christ is our King. And I think it's fair for us, uh, fair to say that most of us don't really connect with the idea of a King. We usually have two categories, right? We have the idea of the English monarchy, and there's definitely history, and there's pomp and circumstance. But there doesn't seem to be much actual power or influence. And then on the other end of the spectrum, when we think of a king, we think of power-hungry leaders. We think of dictators. Hitler comes to mind where there's plenty of power and influence, but it's often used in unhealthy or even diabolical ways. Even though we don't have categories for a loving and powerful and good king, it is something that we want, right? It is something that we can connect with. We want a leader that we can trust, that we can follow, that we can look up to, that we can lean on because we need help. We need direction. We need pr- protection and guidance in our lives, and this is part of the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. He is our King. Christ is a personal King. That's one of the first things we see from Psalm 110. This is one of the powerful realities of biblical Christianity. It's personal. It's expressed here in Psalm 110. Christ is our King. Remember in the New Testament, when Thomas saw Jesus, he said, My Lord and my god and we learn the same principle here that Jesus Christ is my king he's a personal king for his people and and that unfolds in verse 1 in verse 1 we have we have three players three people mentioned in verse 1 first of all it's David it's a psalm of David then he says in verse 1 the lord capital l o r d that's yahweh jehovah the the Uh, Almighty, powerful, I am who I am, God. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So you have David, you have God Almighty, and then you have Lord, someone who He calls Adonai, or Master. What does this mean? What is this about? Because David was the most powerful man in Israel. He was the king. There was no one to whom... He said, Lord, the buck stopped with him. So what is Psalm 110 verse 1 talking about? Well, let's think it through. David knew God's promise from 2 Samuel chapter 7, where he said one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. Your throne will be established forever. And David knew full well that he wasn't a perfect king. He trusted that God would send the Messiah who we now know as King Jesus, as Christ. He knew the one who would come after him, whom God promised would be the perfect king. He will be my Lord. As I said before, Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And one of the places that it's addressed is in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22 While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. And he said, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, how is it that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And this next verse is, is awesome. No one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. David knew that he needed help. He needed leadership. He needed guidance and protection of another. He knew that someone greater than himself would be the ultimate true leader that he, he couldn't be. And he trusted in God's promised Messiah, a personal king who would come he would be his own descendant he would be his physical son but he would also be god in the flesh he would be the messiah christ the king my lord and my god christ is a personal king jesus christ is still a personal king he's not just a king he's not the king A fundamental part of Christianity is that He is is my Lord, my God, my King. Is that part of your story this morning? Is Christ the Master, the Lord, the King of your life? Christ is not only a personal King, He is a victorious King. The second part of verse 1, what is this phrase, sit at my hand until I make your enemies your footstool? All about. Well, in this context, in this culture, the right hand was a place of honor. It was a place of dignity and glory and exaltation and strength. The right hand is the place where Jesus Christ rules and reigns now. And we see from places in the New Testament that Christ's victory is tied to his work, right? He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He rose again in victory. And basically what Psalm 110 verse 1 is talking about, it's telling us, is that Jesus Christ has the power and the credentials and the authority. He is a victorious king. We see several glimpses of this in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5 the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging on the tree. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Hebrews chapter 1, To which of the angels did God say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? One of the places that highlights this the most and the best is from Philippians 2. Kids, you remember these verses from upward bound because of his saving work and his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Jesus Christ is our victorious king. He came to earth on a divine rescue mission. He came to set the captives free. That's what, we, that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus culminating in His glorious resurrection is the centerpiece of Christianity. It's the declaration to us and to the whole world that Christ is a victorious King. Sisters and brothers, this is a message that we need. When we're discouraged or downcast or doubting, wondering if following Jesus is really worth it in this world when we're standing up against what seems like an insurmountable roadblock in our lives or when we're standing in the face of temptation and we think there's no way that we could withstand we need to remember that Jesus Christ is our victorious king we need to remember and believe and know Christ is our victorious king, and he not only forgives our sins, but he gives his children the resources and the power and the courage and the command to pursue him and pursue righteousness. Why? Because Christ is our victorious king. David knew it. Millions of others have known it, and we can learn more and more about it each step we take in our lives towards glory. Lean into, rest in, remind yourself of the fact that Christ is our King. A victorious King. He's also a ruling King. Talks about it in verse 2. The Lord sends forth from Zion your, your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. When I think about someone sitting down, I think about a recliner, a plush recliner, and some guy posting up to watch sports on a Saturday. But when we see the idea of someone sitting down at the right hand of the Father, here, it's a picture of rule. That's what kings did. When they sat down, they ruled their kingdom. And that's what's pictured here. Christ Jesus is a ruling king. We see that idea scattered throughout the Old Testament. Remember in Ephesians chapter 1, "...and He, the Father, put all things under His, Christ's feet." And gave him as head over all things to the church. Christ is ruling. God is in control. This is one of the things that we we understand as we read the Bible. Romans 8.28 For all things work together for the good of those who love God. And are called according to his purpose. Christ is a ruling king. He's in control. This is so hard for us to grasp. Because we want control so badly. So many times, fears fuel our insecurities and we think that our agendas and our plans have got to go forward at all costs. And we try to manage the chaos in the world by holding on tighter and tighter in our lives. We need to remember that Christ is a ruling king. Jesus Christ is in control of your life and in my life right now. When disappointment and hurt and failure and heartbreak come into us and flood our lives, we've got to remember and trust that Jesus is reigning and ruling now. For me, one of the hardest ways to trust that God is in control is in the mundane, day-in, day-out details of my life learning to trust Him with the little things, the little things that can make me so angry and get me sideways. And remember on an hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute basis that I'm not God and that I can't control what's happening around me and I can't control what other people do and I need to take it easy and learn to trust in Him in the day-in, day-out details of life. He's God. He's God. And he's ruling and reigning now in the big things and in the little things. Another part about Christ being a king is that he has willing subjects. Look at verse 3 with me. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. Verse 3 is a battle scene. The day of your power is the day of battle. Christ's subjects willingly follow His lead even into battle, even into scary, difficult things. This is one of the things that marks Christ as our King. This is one of the things that it shows that we're God's children is that we're willing to serve and follow Him. Remember the words of the, of the hymn, He changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Christians... Don't obey and serve God to gain His acceptance and approval. Christians obey and serve God because we've been loved and accepted by Him. We don't serve so Christ will become our King. We serve because Christ is our King. Derek Kidner, uh, a commentator on this passage, helps with this. He says, in the first line, there's a touch of the song of Deborah from Judges 5.2. The people offered themselves willingly, willingly, but the expression is even bolder in Psalm 110. It literally could be translated, your people are free will offerings. Do you see the implication? As God's children, we not only have the privilege of serving God, to willingly follow King Jesus, our lives are living sacrifices to Him. And this is such a powerful and important message in our day and time. When we live in a world and in a culture that says everything is about me. Everything is about myself and my self-gratification. Psalm 110 is a simple reminder that our greatest glory and meaning in life is found in willingly serving Jesus Christ. And more than that, in offering ourselves as free will offerings to Him. Isn't that beautiful? That's what Romans chapter 12 talks about. We can offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. Because Christ is our King, because He loves us and leads us so well, we have the courage And the privilege to take on our sin face-to-face and to deal with it and to repent and ask others for help. We have the freedom and the courage to love other people and to serve and to get out of our comfort zones. Why? Because He makes us willing in the day of His power. As we do this, I believe God transforms and changes and blesses us in the midst of our lives. Christ is our king. Psalm 10 also talks about the reality that Christ is our priest. Jesus Christ is our priest. A priest isn't exactly the most inviting and moving concept in our culture. What is a priest? Why do we need a priest? What does it matter that Jesus Christ is our priest? The Children's Catechism says it so simply and beautifully... Why do I need Jesus as a priest? Because I'm guilty. We have a fundamental problem. It's guilt and shame because of sin. And Jesus Christ is the answer to that. Verse 4 talks about this. You're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now everybody knows what that means. We don't need to dive into that this morning. Um, No, we don't know what that means. And uh, Melchizedek is a very interesting character in the Bible. He basically shows up three times. In Genesis, in Psalm 110, and uh, in the book of Hebrews. He's this intriguing character. He flashes on the scene and then he's gone. According to God's law that he gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, priests were to be Levites. They were to be the sons of Aaron. And there was this clear distinction in the Old Testament that Priests could do this work and kings could do this work, but there was no, uh, there shouldn't be any uh, overlap of their duties. And what we read about from Hebrews, we read about Melchizedek. He was this guy that came on the scene. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. His he's first by translation king of righteousness, then he's also king of Salem that is king of peace. He's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. And then it says a little bit later in Hebrews 7 about Melchizedek. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Mel- Melchizedek who was a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. You see, Jesus, the Messiah, is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It means that He's better than Aaron. He's better than any Levite priest. He's categorically different because He has an indestructible life. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a priest Holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sin, exalted above the heavens. Melchizedek was a glimpse, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Messiah. He's a better priest. He's the perfect Messiah. And one of the things that's so powerful and so mind-blowing and so wonderful about Christ and the Christian message is not only that he's a perfect priest... But that he himself is the sacrifice. Because Jesus had, because he lived this holy, innocent, undefiled life, he could represent us perfectly. Because he was holy and innocent and undefiled, he could also lay down his life as a sacrifice on the altar for us. He's the king of righteousness, the king of peace. Righteousness and peace were secured for God's people where? At the cross. He laid down his life on the altar. And now he continually intercedes for us. It, it's a glimpse from Psalm 110 that God promised a Messiah, that God promised to give us a perfect priest and a perfect sacrifice. And it's found fulfilled in Christ. He's the way to the Father. He gives us redemption and forgiveness and healing. Think about this. Think about how important this message is for your life, for us. The fact that Jesus Christ is the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice, that supersedes all the junk in your life, all your past, all your scars. Coming to terms with the perfect life and sacrificial death of Christ. His blood shed once for all can bring you freedom and joy and hope in life. It can help set aside some of the anxiety and the fear that you have about who you are and what you're meant to be. Really forgiven, life with Christ is so much better than the stuff that we often settle for. There's hope and joy and life with Him. It speaks into your current struggles. It speaks into who you are now. Jesus Christ is the perfect priest and He's a perfect sacrifice. And He cleanses and heals us and He intercedes for us even now. Last thing we see from Psalm 110 is that Jesus Christ is on a mission. He's on the move. The last few verses of Psalm 110, verses 5 through 7, they show us a conquering king, a king who's judging the nations, destroying his enemies. Look at verse 7. He'll drink from the brook by the way, therefore, he will lift up his head. It's a picture of a, of a, a warrior, a leader in battle. And he just has time to to duck down for a second and take a quick sip of water. Think about a soldier, a leader, taking some water from his canteen while his eyes are on the enemy and on his objective. Why? Because he will judge, he will accomplish his mission. Jesus Christ is still on a mission. He's a just king. He'll judge and subdue his enemies. And one of the things that we've learned by being around Christianity for a while, one of the things that we've learned, one of the beautiful things is that he often takes the judgment that his enemies deserve. He subdues his enemies to himself. How? By his radical and compassionate love. He's a conquering king and the gospel reminds us that one of the ways he conquers folks is by overwhelming them with his love and mercy and grace and taking the penalty that that we deserve in his own body. So many of us have experienced that. We've tasted it. We've seen it. We've known it. His mercy is a theme of our songs and our lives. Jesus Christ is the perfect king. He's a perfect priest and he's on A mission, and he uses folks like us in this great adventure. See, if we forget this mission, if we forget that God is on the move, that Christ is working in this world, that we're part of his work, then I believe that's where this huge hole or void can form in our lives. So many people struggle to find purpose and meaning in their lives. So many people come, struggle to come to terms with why they're here and what their life is about. Even believers, even people who know Jesus struggle with what their life is about and what their purpose is. We need a renewed sense of Jesus' mission. One of the most rewarding things in this world is that we get to be participants in God's amazing plan and purpose. Jesus Christ is still on a mission. And we get to be part of it. And it doesn't mean that everyone has to pack up their bags and move to the mission field, although it could mean some of us do. It starts with our families and being committed to demonstrate and show the importance of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. It flows out into our neighborhoods and our communities. This is part of the hope and dream of parish model community groups is that we can love and serve our neighbors, work together, to, to move toward people with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, where we live. There are so many ways that Christ is on a mission. There's so many aspects. We do have something special. We have a message. We have a Messiah. Deeply rooted in the past. We have a personal, victorious, reigning king. A perfect priest who is also the sacrifice for us. And this God, this priest, this king is on a mission. He's on the move and we get to be part of it. So maybe I understand the interest in genealogy a little bit. It involves those basic questions of identity and meaning and purpose and connection with something bigger than ourselves. Maybe those are some of the reasons why Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Why it's so important for us. Jesus was a physical descendant of David, yes. But more importantly, he was and is Messiah, the Savior of the world. When we think about our identity and our purpose and our calling, that desire within us to know and be known who we are and what we're about, all of those questions are answered. All of those issues are addressed where? In the person of Jesus Christ. So close, I want to close with two thoughts. First of all, questions. Is your identity bound up in Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ, revealed in the Scriptures, promised thousands of years before, come in time and space, we look back and worship Him now, coming again in glory, is Christ central to who you are and what you're about? Is He your perfect priest and king? Trust Him. There's life in Christ. Secondly, maybe you feel disconnected or distant from God. Maybe you're discouraged or apathetic. I want to challenge you to pursue Him, to work to reconnect your heart and your mind and your will to who He is and what He's done. The Christian life is all about grace from beginning to end. It is about God's radical, incredible, free grace and love for us. And it's a grace that frees us up to strive and to labor and to work and to pursue His kingdom and His righteousness with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's my prayer that Psalms 110 will help us do that. Let's pray together.